this is Gideon Emery, and you're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast. Welcome back to Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. This is our 150th episode, 150, uh, which is kind of a big deal. And this is for episode 617 of the final season of Teen Wolf, Werewolves of London. I am Natalie. I'm joined, as usual, by Karen. And I think that we're probably going to get a bit rowdy this episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good Um, (laughs) one. Yeah, so... We're going to be talking about the episode. You can reach out on our um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, which all have the handle NATW Podcast. Uh, you can check us out over there and check out some of our other projects that we cross post to that as well uh, that are not related to Teen Wolf. And you can email us on natwpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Tumblr, not another Teen Wolf podcast.tumblr.com. You can view our archives there or on hyperball.com. So this show is available on iTunes and Stitcher and lots of other podcast servers that kind of just rip rip podcasts from wherever they originally come from. But, yeah, so that is where you can find us and talk to us if you want to. Um, we do have a little bit of feedback to uh, go through this week um, at the end of our discussion. We actually got a really... Uh, really nice email that I want to address some points in and we have some 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 stuff to talk about there. So if you want to send us something for us to read out on the show, feel free to do that or just follow along. Yeah, so this episode, Werewolves of London, uh, which references the uh, London-based contingent of the Beacon Hills pack, former Beacon Hills pack, and uh, unfortunately they did not use the song, uh, which is... Um, Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon, which is uh, weirdly uh, one of my favourite, like, classic rock songs. But that's okay. I've used it in an episode before. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Maybe they couldn't get the rights. But (laughs) the episode was still good, even though they didn't use the song. And, yeah, we're going to talk about it. So before that, there was a lot of other things that happened as well. Um, And before that, we're going to just talk about our favourite Quotes. Overall, I think Karen and I both really loved this episode mm-hmm. uh, for a variety of reasons. I think that it was like such a high, like a high quality episode in a variety of ways. Uh, the sound design, like a lot, like a lot of technical things about it were like someone who worked on this episode, like whether that's editing, music direction, really kind of had this come right up there with some of the best quality work that they've done. This is not a quote, but I had weird, like, this is such a Mitch Clow thing to say, who you may be familiar with from any of our other shows if you follow along our podcasting community. But the scene back in Beacon Hills in Sheriff's Office when he's interrogating Monroe, the music and the timing of him putting down each bullet synced up Mm. to the music was like very percussive it was like very in time with that and it was so well done that's almost my favorite quote unquote quote of the episode was that 
that sort of beat. But but no, there was some fantastic dialogue as well, um, which Karen ha- made the document, our script document that we work off and stole the quote that I had written down, which is fine because I think we can both agree it was brilliant. So do you oh, want to yeah. go first with that? Oh, yes, yes. This is when Scott and Malia have invited Deucalion to the house and they're asking him if he will be their ally in this upcoming fight, if they'll be part of Scott's army. And he's basically like, uh, no, not so into that anymore. (laughs) And Malia just goes, so what, you moved into a cave and took a vow of uselessness? (laughs) So brilliant. So funny. Oh my God, I just died. And you know what? There were a lot of great quotes throughout Mm -hmm. this entire episode, both like the serious ones and the really funny ones. And yeah, I just, I really loved this episode. It was so, so good. But this one was definitely the standout for me. Look, I'll go with funny because I have another one that's also funny who, which was not, which is a plot point. So I think that you've actually put a plot point about this in in our guide this week. So I'll address that at the time. Whereas this is kind of just a moment, which is when they're in the Eichenhaus ward with Peter and he shows them the uh, soldier he's captured. And Scott's like, there's something wrong with him. And Peter's like, yes, he's shooting at us, which the expression <laughs> and everything about him, this was such a, uh, oh, oh, this is such a hate, such a HQ Peter episode this was as well. And I was just, I um, loved him so much. We'll talk about, yeah, because I want to talk about, like, the other scenes with him, obviously, as well, but, um, and there were some lines that he said that will come up in our in our general discussion, but just that as a comedic moment. This Peter was, like, he was so campy and he was so mm-hmm. just, just, like, peak Peter, and I just don't know, like, he's so, so funny. It's interesting that he said, like, Scott said to him, there's so much to talk about, like, interesting that Scott said to him that he's, like, stronger than it all, because... You know, Peter, again, like, is, you know, a big part of, of the, the origin story of the show. But, oh, it's just such a funny, brilliant Peter episode. And um, I think before we get off the ground, so we had, um, you know, re- we had reintroduction, before we get, like, through the plot, reintroduction of four characters this week who were all characters we haven't seen in a while. Um, Peter's been consistent. You know, he was part of the season, the last season. He's a consistent resident of Beacon Hills, but we haven't seen him in a, in a little minute. Um, I don't think we've seen him all season. Is this the first time he's been in this season? Or? I think it is. Yeah. So we knew that uh, Colton Haynes and Charlie Carver were back this week. Um, there was, you know, a lot of promotion about that. We saw one scene at Comic-Con and then they released the other scene online. I did, I, I actually, I know we talked about it and I know like we were spoiled for their their situation. I did not watch the scene that came out before the episode came out. I was I purposely avoided it. I, I knew for a fact that the scene confirmed, you know, that they were a couple and stuff like that because it was in all the news headlines, but I did not actually watch the footage because I was annoyed that they had released it. So mm-hmm. watch, watching the scene was fresh, but we knew those guys were coming back. Then we had Gideon Emery as Deucalion and Ian Bowen as Peter return this week as well. Obviously Gideon is someone we haven't seen in a couple of of years either ian and gideon i was not spoiled for them coming back and i did not catch their names in the opening credits so they did appear in the opening credits but i i as i mentioned before i've sort of 
have like visual concentration where I kind of look look up and look away a lot and I missed both of their names in the opening credits and then I told Karen purposely to cover the <laughs> to not look at the names in the opening credits when she watched because um because I, as the Gideon one especially when they when he came to their to Scott's house uh and I was like I was like that was the moment that we'd been talking about like that we want had to have some characters that we don't know they're there until they appear on the screen um, and that we don't know they're there at all or, you know, they don't know they're coming and that they're not credited and stuff like that. So that for me was once one of those. Peter was less of a shock because we knew that he was getting roped in at some point and we know that he's always around. But Gideon as Jukalian, I was like, oh, yay. So I was quite pleased to have sort of accidentally uh, missed his name there. Yeah, so even though you've warned me, <laughs> I I held my hand up against the credits the entire time because I didn't want to be spoiled either and my eyes just automatically go to the names. I just, I can't help it. So I covered it up with my hand, except I thought it was over and I took it away and there was Gideon's name right there. And I was like, God damn it, that was probably the one that she was warning me about. It was. <sighs> but it was great anyway. It was so cool seeing him. Yes. So getting into the actual uh, plot of the episode, if you like, to yeah, kick that yeah. off. Yeah, let's what we do could... this. Yeah. The, the cold open was so good, too. Oh, oh my God. I just, I am just so <sighs> furious that we have not had this show for the past however many years. Like, right? this, like this European spinoff of, <laughs> of Teen Wolf because, oh. Oh, my God. I just... I was I watched this I watched this several times this scene because I was just so delighted like we've talked you know we've talked so many times about why like if you listen to this show you know why putting all of these two and two and two together is going to end up in complete joy for us we love Charlie we love we love the Carver twins we love we love Colton and Jackson was always weirdly my favorite character <laughs> of the first two seasons look i don't know why like the heart wants what it wants okay so <laughs> i um, mean i've made stranger choices <laughs> yeah which we'll talk about later we in will. this episode uh, <laughs> and um so i and just oh just everything about it like charlie uh ethan is so bitchy and i like i like cards on the table like i know charlie pretty well. I know him better than probably the rest and it, the rest of the cast. I've spent extended amounts of time with him when he's um, visited, um, you know, conventions that I've been at and, and stuff like that. And I know him like off the record, like, and how he acts and how he talks. And this was so perfect and bitchy, like such a good, it made the character like a lot more real than I think he's been in the past. Like seeing him as a kind of an adult, like seeing him as developed into this um, you know, elegant, responsible, bitchy gay, and I just loved it so much. And obviously we knew who he was going to be with, but if we hadn't, if you hadn't been spoiled for, like, knowing that Jackson and Ethan were going to have scenes together, knowing that that video came out, like, if you watched this cold and you didn't know who was going to be on the other end of the phone because uh, it's not Colton's voice on the voicemail. And then when they throw him through the door and he looks up, like when, when he actually says, you know, he's not just part werewolf, he's part Kanima. If that had been the reveal, like if you hadn't known anything until that point, I would have just 
fallen out of my chair yeah. and screamed <laughs> and done. like it was actually I, I'm because I assume that when they wrote it and filmed it which remember was quite a while ago mm-hmm. maybe they weren't planning to spoil it because it is set up like mm-hmm. you're not meant to know until he says that line and it's so good and so brilliant and oh and just the acting from both of them like I don't know I felt this was like really some next level stuff like I loved um the action scene I loved how freaking pissed off Jackson was like how he went um you know how it's not like stop motion but you know that kind of action where it's like kind of like really like blocky cuts I don't know how to describe it but they used it and it worked really well and I liked how I liked the kind of the rage that he had and and you know how pissed he was to have missed this event um I loved I loved the phone call before that. I loved Ethan being like, yeah, so this means I'm going to kill you. Like I loved <laughs> the depth of the establishment of the relationship. Um, I do hope we find out a bit about how that came to be um, and, and also about whether Jackson was always meant to have been by or not because, remember, this is a world in which there's no stigma, no history of stigma about any kind of um, homosexuality, so whether he, so there's kind of, unless someone just really has their own personal damage, there's no reason for someone not to be open about it, especially when he had, like, he grew up with a best friend that was gay. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much work they're going to put into that, but I'd be curious to hear the story, basically, of it. You, You know what I mean? Yeah, I would too. Anyway, there's a lot here. There's a lot more about this, like, plot related yeah. stuff about this. So, yeah. Yeah. I just I mean, loved, I just loved the tone of, and the acting and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. I just, I loved, I loved it so much. Yeah. The, I mean, everything about this scene was great from, like, the way that they swept through, like, the, the landscape and you knew exactly where they were. And then it cues in on Ethan and he's on the phone. Like, yeah, like you said, we knew, you know, who he was talking to and everything, which was kind of a bummer, but also just made me really excited because I was like, yes, this is, this is awesome already. And it was just so cute and his little like werewolf cufflinks and like all the little details were so wonderful. And then of course, like everything goes to hell because this is Teen Wolf and two hunters show up and they, they drag Jackson in there. And uh, I really love the line too, where Ethan is, he's like, you should have used the yellow wolf's bane because he's, part werewolf, part kinema, and the regular stuff doesn't work on him, and then, you know, Jackson just kind of goes crazy and beats everyone up, and the apartment gets destroyed, and I never loved Ethan <sighs> more, in, except, like, other than in the moment when he goes, that's an antique, as the ball is smashed, and I was like, <laughs> honey, I feel you, it hurts oh my, my soul, and the pictures, and like, I just had those framed. <laughs> what? Oh, he's he's precious. And it is it is leaning into the stereotype of that kind of like, you know, bitchy fashionable gay. But like to be quite frank, both of those boys are that in real life. Like <laughs> like no, no, like for real they are. Like have you seen Colton's Instagram? Like it's, <laughs> that is what they're like. And I understand this is like a little bit leaning into 
yes, both of these guys have come out since being on the show. Yes, mm-hmm. you want to kind of honour that. Um, and Jeff is also, you know, peak gay and has an incredibly fashionable house and lifestyle. But I don't care. Like, I just don't care. I yeah. just, like, yeah, people being like, oh, yeah, it's, like, forced in because of, like, the guys themselves. I don't care. Like, I just don't. Like, I really both. don't see it that way. Like, I see yeah. it much more as an homage to coming out, which, like, yeah. for both of them was kind of a big deal, but especially for Colton recently was was kind of huge. It made a lot of headlines because of, like, the whole situation and all of that. And, like... I, I don't really care either. I, I love that they decided to do it this way, and I loved that this is who they are. And, like, I guess maybe it's a little stereotypical, but I don't – I didn't really see it that way. This is just who they are, and, and I liked it, and I think it worked really well for this story. And it was really funny, too. It was a great opening scene where there was a lot of action, there was a lot of emotion, there was a lot of humor, and it kind of – had everything and then you ended on the kiss and you're just like yes we are here this is everything we wanted since we saw them walking down the hall together and oh it was so great it was it was just so so I don't know it's just so good that apartment as well like looking out over the Thames looking over to Parliament House is like the Houses of Parliament is like they are rich. Like, I mean, it's that's obviously that the interior is done up like they're rich, but that location's like a freaking seven million pound apartment. So what's going on? Like, are they both? I don't know. Like, tr- we know Jackson is a bit of a trust fund baby, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I wonder what they've been doing with their lives. It sounded like you know Jackson's voicemail was going to like an office where he worked or something. So I and I feel like Ethan. Ethan is like kind of one of those people who, like, if he wants something, he's going to get it. So, like, he wants this apartment. Like, all right, what do I have to do? Like, he seems like a shrewd kind of business person or something. So they've probably set up shop and doing something that brings in those dollar-dollar bills. Yeah, some sort of, um, I don't know, like, it's just, it's just, yeah, I feel like they're, like, hot young professionals living the dream in Mm. London, you know. So yeah, I was. It's uh, it's so good, and I, I yeah, just the still just the phone call. I I just loved so much of that, you know, because I'm that guy. Like I I want to know like how they started dating. Why Ethan was so sure about this? Like as soon as he got into it, what's been said about Danny? Like I just want so. Yeah. Yeah, I want I want this show. Like I, I want I want to know, and we may get it because they haven't met up with Scott yet. Like what? what this is not, this is clearly not their only episode. Like they mm-hmm. may get it for the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, By the way, when this episode ended, I literally went, "What? That's it?" Like I was not expecting that to be the end, and I was so upset about it. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. But- we could we talk about them literally this entire episode, but let's move on to some other stuff because actually a lot happened and there's a lot to discuss. First mm. of all, Melissa is the one in the hospital, although not the only one, which I actually really loved. So Scott's dad is in the hospital, but got moved to another one, which probably just means that Matthew Del Negro, like that was probably his one episode that he came back for. Yeah. Um, Lydia and Mason are also in the hospital. We don't see Mason, but we do see Lydia. 
So and, they all got shot, basically. Like, it literally yeah. hit four, four civilians. Yeah, and I, I think maybe it even hit everybody, but the werewolves could obviously heal. Yeah. Um, but I really liked this because not only did somebody get hurt, which shows the consequences of the actions that, like, you know, while well, we know it, it was Gabe now, like, he kind of led that attack, mm-hmm. it wasn't just one person. It wasn't just, like, oh, here's the unlucky person that got hit. No, like... They shot up the house with, like, automatic guns. Everybody's going to get hurt. Yeah. It's very realistic. Because we weren't, you know, yeah, TV is like, cliffhanger, who is the one who didn't make it? You know, like, whereas this was not that. Like, this was like, okay, they all got shot because the entire room was shot and no one could avoid it. Like, yeah. (sighs) That's hardcore. Um, (sighs) So, yeah, but we, we see... Melissa and mm-hmm. Lydia in the hospital and they're both Which, in pretty pretty bad shape. Oh my god, Melissa, like that was rough to watch. The way that they it's did her makeup of, and yeah, made it and, so pale. And like she did such a great job of like coming off as like really weak and like everything about it was so perfect and so devastating at the same time. Again, in the in television, usually, like, someone, they usually let, like, people be a little bit, unca- you know, unrealistically pretty in, in the hospital, if you know uh-huh. what I mean. Like, on, on television, they're kind of, like, you know, they just look winsome and, you know, like, a little bit tired or whatever. Like, yeah. she really looked, like, freaking dead. Like, yeah. like no offence to, uh, <laughs> you know, Melissa Ponzio, but she looked really really rough like yeah so yeah so that was I mean it was hard to watch but I think it really lent itself to the scene and kind of lent itself to what she said which I'm curious how you feel about this because we talked about this last time I freaking hate it Karen I don't mind okay so I just I just feel like this is just I don't know I'm just really bothered by it I yeah some some reason I am deeply well deeply bothered by it on the one hand she tells scott you didn't do this which i think was actually really good because scott's obviously going to feel like this is his fault but it's not it's the people who shot her (laughs) that's whose fault it is so i'm glad she said you didn't do this but she also Mm -hmm. said don't run you fight and i know that you don't necessarily like this because i'm assuming because she's telling her own son like basically step in front of the bullet and who knows I'm just, what could for happen some there. Reason, I'm just like really bothered by it. I don't, I don't know why I'm just intrinsically bothered by this. Like I get like on a moral ground, she's like, don't let them do this. And like, you know, and I, and yeah, there's no, you know, neutrality in the face of oppression is bad. But for some reason, like, I don't know, a mother telling her kid this, especially, like, when majority of the people who are, you know, powerful are, like, minors, um, is really weird. Unless she has the full faith that he will survive. And what would be interesting to me is if, because we're getting, like, the rest of the episode is, like, just a variety of people telling Scott that he's going to have to start killing people that no one walks away from war with their hands clean, that no one, you know, we've had it from Sheriff and we have it from a variety of other people. Um, And all of those pieces start coming into place and it's kind of setting up this circumstance where they're going to miraculously not have to kill people. But it would be really interesting to me if Melissa 
did the same thing, which has not yet happened. But that that is when I would start to get interested rather than just pissed off, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some something about it just bothers me. I don't know. It's there's something like I understand that like in like moral, I understand the like morality of it, but I don't know. I just can't imagine her not prioritizing safety like don't know I just can't can't make it work yeah I think Melissa has come a long way in understanding the importance of Scott's role and I think and I think I said this last time too I think it just lends itself to how much faith she has in Scott which isn't necessarily unfounded, but also could be kind of naive in that, you know, he's going up against Gerard and this army of people with machine guns, basically. And that's no joke. Uh, So I get your frustration with her not prioritizing safety, but at the same time, in my head, it kind of goes back to what I said in our very first episode in that, like, if I got the bite, I feel like I would have to be responsible with it and I would have to protect people and do my job and I think she's come to the conclusion that this is Scott's legacy this is what he does she doesn't want him to run away because that isn't going to solve any problems when he is capable of solving those problems I guess I don't know it's still it's still weird I don't know, still weird to me for some reason. Don't know why, but it just is. Well, Um, either way, Scott does listen to his mom and he wants to fight back, but he needs an army. And the first person he calls is none other than Deucalion, which was really delightful. Deucalion comes to Scott's house and uh, basically tells him, look, my fighting days are over. And he, he says, the only way you're going to be able to stop Gerard is if you kill him. So again, we're getting this idea that Scott might have to get his hands dirty for the first time and what sort of like influence it's going to have over him. And the thing that Deucalion says that I think is great for his character arc, but also really important for this dilemma Scott's going to be going through is that he offers them guidance and he says, I'm not afraid to lose my eyes again. I'm afraid to lose my soul. He doesn't want to get in the middle of this fight, right? Like he doesn't want to get in the middle of this fight because he's afraid of what it's going to turn him into. He was a monster before and he's moved past that and he doesn't want to go back to that place, which you kind of can't ask him to. Like the fight is important, but so is him keeping himself together. It's it's kind of like, you know, shoving a glass of wine under an alcoholic's nose. Like, you, mm. you just don't do that to somebody who's moved past that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I get the point. And maybe Deucalion has something to offer aside from straight up, let's kill people, or, mm-hmm. you know, let's He's fight. got a lot of knowledge. Yeah, but I don't know. There's a few moral sides to it. Like, because at the moment, like, first of all, like, what other solutions are there? Like, is is Deucalion going to be on the 
you know, it, would he rather, I mean, he says that I'm not scared of losing my eyes again. Like, would he rather die than fight? And it kind of seems like, yes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like he also seems to think that he can protect himself because of what he sort of de- demonstrates with Malia. With Malia, which was really great and funny. And um, yeah, he's talking about this sort of path of least resistance kind of martial arts, which I think they called, is it Bakwa or? Bagua. So Bagua. I, yeah, I found some records of this online. It's a, yeah, it's a martial art that's basically mostly walking like it's mostly literally like something based in circles that like like circle patterns that's like Mm -hmm. avoidant walking basically so right and I've heard of um like Aikido before which is basically using your opponent's energy against them and so you don't necessarily do any of the work you just step out of the way and push them over when they're like off balance and that sort of thing and it it's trying to impose the least amount of damage and save as much energy and kind of mm-hmm. dispel the fight before it even starts, which is really cool that Deucalion is doing that. And I like that he's still able to protect himself and be true to himself. Um, but that part where he like disappears when she attacks him and then they end up back to back and she's like, what just happened? That was so funny. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know if that's meant to be, like, an example of, like, what they can do on a bigger scale, you know, like, let the hunters burn themselves out or, mm-hmm. like, which, Maybe. Parts of, or which parts of all of these statements, like, what, you know, either in a literal or kind of a metaphorical, you know, advice, um, and which parts of all of this are actually going to be of any, I don't know, like, do you agree with Ducalian's sort of right to to sit out I guess like if you know like is it a matter of like you know fighting for good or or not or or do you think that his concern is enough of a reason to not actually get involved even at the risk of others I think his decision is totally valid for two reasons one sort of the the alcoholism metaphor that I gave before if he's afraid that he's going to turn into a monster if he fights then I don't think it's right for Scott or anyone else to ask him to do something like that to risk becoming something that he obviously is continuously working against. Two, he doesn't have to fight in order to help them. He's offering guidance. And I think that is just as valuable in a different kind of way. He has a lot of knowledge. He has a lot of knowledge of Gerard in particular, but of other, you know, supernatural creatures and and the sort of whole world so I think that it's valid for him to be like look I don't want to fight I can't fight because if I do you're not going to like what's going to come out on the other end but Mm -hmm. I'm willing to do this and I I think that's still helpful yeah I think that there there are all kinds of all kinds of roles and yes like you know there are there are certainly probably people who can do things in cold blood or do things, you know, as kind of a, you know, rules of war, like, you know, whether that's even killing people where it doesn't actually ruin their lives and their sense of self. But I guess for him, he knows that it will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess it's a matter of finding the right people who can do that kind of thing without it being a corruption. 
Right. And they literally have this conversation where Jehalian says, you got to lower your standards for allies. And Scott just goes, I thought I was. And oh, Jehalian so says, right? I thought they were good with each other. Like, I think it was a little bit of a joke. I but mean, then yeah. Jehalian goes, lower than me. And you're like, <laughs> oh, God. That was actually a great exchange. And it I was. Would, again, like that, that relationship between Scott and Jukalian, because what, what we learned about them, you know, with the Dread Doctors back in the day when, you know, he was posing as a enemy, um, you know, but he was actually working with Scott the whole time, you know, um, back in the, in the Dread Doctors mm-hmm. era with Theo. I just, he's, like, I would love to see his, like, chain of texts with Scott. Like, like their ongoing... <laughs> Their ongoing relationship would be very interesting. Oh, my me. God. I wonder if he uses emojis. I think he would. I don't know. I don't know about that. I Maybe. think he would. Oh God. Um, <laughs> Ironically. Yeah. By the way, shout out to Gideon Emery. Um, I missed his voice. God, I love his voice so much. <laughs> we and do love his voice. And we have a great intro from him, actually. So we let's do. put that on this. Ep- but if yes. I can get into my hard drive, let, we'll put it on this episode. Please. Yeah. Um, sure. But he, my friend, um, Destiny 2 just dropped the video game. And my friend oh, yeah. is obsessed with it. And he voices the character on there. And I heard his voice and I was like, tell me that's Gideon Emery. And I looked it up and it was. So <laughs> you just knew. Yeah, that was and Nathan Fillion and um Gina Torres also voice characters. That's kind of intense. That's right. A lot of it's, yeah, a lot of really famous people do voiceovers for games these days, yeah, which is cool. cool. But anyway, that is off topic. We like him. He was he's great. Um yes. and I, I I would love to see more films with him. Like I think he's he's really good. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so we'll really like him a lot. Daredevil character. <laughs> oh yeah, that was like I mean that was very short-lived. Yeah. Short-lived. <laughs> Great role. job. Wonderful job, but dead. yeah. Definitely dead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right, let's let's yeah. get back to Jackson, our favorite uh, werewolf canima hybrid cannibal wolf animal wolf. Jack, are we are we back to Jackson? We are back to Jackson because they were tracking some omegas. Why do you think they were tracking some omegas? <gasps> Looking for Isaac? Are they? Are they? Oh, ow! Dare, dare I say? Oh, um, that caused me physical pain. Okay. Or just looking for others, like looking for people to kind of come together as kind of a a, a pack, like come oh together God. as a found family kind of. They want no. children. They're taking in wayward strays to be their baby. All right, you're inventing some freaking like <laughs> intense, crazy shit right now. But sure, Karen's over here writing fan fiction. That's fine. Um, that's not where I was going. But yeah, maybe they're young. Maybe he heard of some young, you know, teens who mm-hmm. had this, and mm-hmm. they could they're like you know old teens like, and they were like, like we can do better than we can do better than Derek. Yeah. So yeah, let's that's do probably this. true. Anyway, um, they were looking for Omegas, but the hunters killed them before Jackson could get to them, ripped out their claws, took some souvenirs, which was really disgusting and awful. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, one of my favorite parts of this entire episode and how I became pretty much instantly invested in these two as a couple, aside from how great that cold open was, 
is that they're talking to the hunters. Jackson's going on this whole spiel and he brings up Gerard's name and, you know, they're unwilling to say anything except they don't have to because Ethan's been listening to the heartbeats full time. And he just says, he talks and I listen, you've told us plenty. And I just love the way that like they work together like this and you can tell their relationship is really solid and that they, you know, they have some challenges as a couple, obviously. Like, this is not the first time Jackson's probably missed an important date or, you know, gone off somewhere and, and forgotten about something, but they're a good team and that above anything else just makes me love them so much. Yeah, it's it's great. Like, that, that whole tactic of, like, okay, I'm going to – annoy them basically let's or I'm gonna I'm gonna mount and then and then you you know you kind of listen in while I do that like that the whole the tactic is great um mm-hmm. and they yeah they're just really in sync and and fantastic like I just love yeah. how established it is and how it feels so established even though this is the first time we're seeing them and Gerard especially would be, you know, for Jackson, like such a mm-hmm. source point, like such, what a horrific, like, of course he's going to become personally um, really, I mean, he seems to be fighting on the side of good regardless, but but in terms of personal reasons, like for Gerard yeah. um, to be pulling this nonsense um, Jackson is going to have some personal vendettas there. So definitely. Yeah. And they, that's what they find out. They find out that these hunters are working for Gerard who's in Beacon Hills. And you kind of know where this is going to go. Even if we hadn't seen that scene at Comic-Con, like, all right, guess, guess we're going to Beacon Hills and uh, we don't get there quite yet, but it's, it's a great way to bring them back into the fold, make it relevant and show us a little slice of like what's been going on outside of Beacon Hills, which is something I think a lot of fans have been looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We we always want to know where where all of these people go once they leave us. Like you know, um, the big one that we still have you know questions about, or maybe maybe other people don't care, but I do. Is Cora um, and her both her past and her future is just completely unknown and and Mm -hmm. curious to me but they um apparently like could not get her because of rain like she's been leading another tv show for five seasons or so so um rain's over now though isn't it It just it just ended but i think Uh. i think the time it just ended recently um, okay. And so the, the the final filming may have been still at the, the the same time as this, or it just may not have been a story that they really wanted to fit in. But mm-hmm. there's yeah, there was a, a lot about that one that I'm still really curious about. Like, hey, you know, she's 17 in years. Yeah, like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? I'm still, I still don't know what that means. I'm still going to. Um, can you actually make a document right now? I'm not even cutting this from the episode. Make a document right now and start putting freaking questions on it that we are going to ask once this show is done. Like that we're going to be like, so we're addressing this. What the hell did that even mean either in an article or we'll ask Jeff 
Um, he's just send him a list on. of all of the questions. I, I will do it. I don't care. He, he's going to come on the podcast at some point, uh, you know, around the end of the show, um, you know, whenever he's free. He's said multiple times that he'll do this. So uh, I don't know if we want to do that after we've made the master list to end all master lists and like make him hate us and never speak to us again. But please, he'll be the like age yes. thing. <laughs> The age thing, I, I'm still anyway. Moving on, I don't even care. Like, so <laughs> we'll 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 probably have a lot of a lot of unknown questions to to watch. Um, you, a lot of unknown questions to ask. Um, you know, especially if we take a couple of months to do a full rewatch. But mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So glad to see the stories elsewhere. That's you know, mm-hmm. and, and and the fact that this is going on all over the world as well, like, you know, that there's a nematon in the um, Epping, you know, presumably like there are all these locations. Like they, he say he tracked them to the edge of the Epping Forest, which is a real place in, in the UK. Hmm. And presumably there's a nematon there as well. So, yeah. Very cool. It's it's very close to London. Like it's it's literally within, within yeah. the borders of Greater London. So, uh, so yeah, so that's why that they're in those those areas. Ducalian also knew about the worldwide locations of Nematon Swell. So like, yeah, this is clearly a thing. And speaking of partnerships that feel, I don't know, that I'm very interested in at this moment, Theo and Liam. Like, and I'm not talking from right. a ship. Uh, no, I know, I know, yeah, I know. not a shipping it's perspective, just... but this, like, reluctant friendship, especially on Theo's end. Theo's basically offering to help Liam get rid of Gabe's body, and it's a joke, but, like, the reason why he's saying it is because he's talking Liam out of actually doing it, and Theo, like, taking Liam under his wing, not something that I expected at all. And I'm so into it. Like, I still don't really know why Theo's trying to save Liam, which is kind of the word that and Liam then, uses. But I'm so Liam into gets it. He's really angry about it as well. And he gets, he mm-hmm. accuses him. He's like, you know, you Scott's not just going to let you in the pack. Like, 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 number one, like, Liam, I think he probably will. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but like, like, you see, you're not, like, he's there. He's in the group. Like, I don't know why Liam, like, why Pete, why you know, Liam is thinking that he's not, but mm-hmm. regardless of that, like, um, yeah, he, he's, you know, he's, I, I don't think he's doing this just to say to Scott, Hey, look at this good deed I did. Like he's intrinsically sensing something's very wrong with Liam and that, you know, something that's not getting better. Um, and I don't know like what it is that's making them, you know, in sync like this, but, didn't expect these story like these two to have a story so closely Mm-mm. tied in this final season but yeah but i'm super into it, it. and yeah. in terms of theo trying to get back into scott's good graces i don't i don't feel like this is why he's doing it we've seen no. theo be manipulative before and it's been pretty obvious to the audience at least what his ulterior motive is but i think he's genuinely invested in making sure that Liam doesn't do anything that he regrets. And he even says like, Hey, you didn't kill him talking about Gabe. That's progress. And, and he's being his usual sarcastic self, but at the same time, he's being like super encouraging. And I like that 
Theo's fundamental characteristics, that sarcasm hasn't changed, but like he is becoming a better person. I think that yeah. they're really walking that fine line between like asshole, but like asshole you kind of like. And that's not always easy to do. I, they can do it with Peter too, but you know, the fact that they can do it after everything Theo has done is really great writing in my opinion. Yeah, I I think Theo has certainly earned his position at this point and he has has done some pretty pretty terrible stuff. Um mm-hmm. again, unanswered question what the frick was going on with Theo's parents. Um, <laughs> put it on the list. Um, but we don't know um yeah, this connection to Liam, maybe he like just doesn't want him to make the similar mistakes like you know and even if he was doing it, like, what, like, what does getting in God, Scott's good graces achieve, if you know what I mean? Like, does he get to then have a pack ceremony with the candles and, and the robes? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Like, oh God, if anyone's listening to this, that, like, has not listened to the past five seasons of this show. So sorry. confused. Like, sorry. Uh, but, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's just very strange to me that um, that this accusation of "oh, you're just doing this to get in Scott's good graces." Oh, they're kind of even if he was not even if he was, but that's like oh, you're just doing this because you want to be involved with something that you think is good. You want you're just doing this because you want to get in on you know something. Uh, that stands for something better. Like, what? Why is that a problem? Like, what? Wh- why is that mm-hmm. a bad accusation? Unless he just means you are just doing this, like to get in, just to be safe, like to save your own skin, because you know Scott will save you. Scott will probably save Theo regardless. Theo's helped them before. Theo's been involved in this plot. Scott's trying to save everyone anyway. Like, it's it's. I don't really understand like what this accusation is all about. Yeah, but mm. yeah. Even so, if Theo wanted his best chance to stay alive, he would run. He wouldn't stick around. Like, yes, it's safe to be around Scott, but Scott's also going to be literally in the eye of the storm. Like, he's going to be fighting this fight directly against Gerard. If Theo wants to, like skate through he'd be out of beacon hills so i think whatever he's doing now is completely genuine he's probably fighting against that that tendency to flee just like malia was at the beginning of the season yeah and yeah so to me like that accusation from liam reads like oh you're only doing this to try and be a better person like yes yes he is is that a problem basically (laughs) like you know so I don't know. Anyway, but we don't know, like, Theo's personal damage about Liam right now, so yeah, we'll see. It's interesting that he's there to look after him. Maybe it's because he knows Scott can't be, like, because this really mm-hmm. shouldn't be Scott, you know, like, this in terms of, you know, looking after his anger and, ca- you know, giving him orders and, and all of that kind of stuff. Like, it actually should be Scott and maybe... Scott's neglecting him. I don't, not neglecting him, but like obviously a lot is going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So it's interesting that Theo's taking it upon himself to be like Liam's personal, mm-hmm. you know, monkey on his back. 
Yeah. He's actually stepping into the shoes that Brett left behind. Because Brett was kind of doing the same thing, pushing him to prove to him he had a problem. And then once he admitted he had a problem, that meant that he could work on it. And Theo is kind of going about it in a similar way. Not that I think Theo has any guilt over the death of Brett, but I think he's aware of how that's affected Liam and and is maybe like slightly empathetic to that, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who knows? But let's move on to my favorite scene of the oh. entire episode. Oh, good. Um, potentially the greatest scene in Teen Wolf history. Which wow. is when um, we get a shout out to Matt. My really? Mom. This is the greatest scene in Teen Wolf history. This scene. This scene is the greatest scene in Teen Wolf history. <laughs> You okay. know what Matt means sure. to me. You know what a sure. great, wonderful character he was. You know Inclu- my love. That's okay. So you're, you're prioritizing this scene over all of the scenes Matt was actually in? Uh, okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But anyway. I will say, like, I was like, I perked up. I was like, wait, did he really just say Matt's name? Like, wait, is is this a shout out to that? Like... And it makes sense, obviously, because Gerard was involved with the whole cinema business. That's the thing. It's it's a really it's a it was a really good like yeah. realistic character look of like, hey, here's the history of what this guy has mm-hmm. screwed up. You know, here's the history of what damage this man has done, and how much he doesn't care about like. Because uh, it's very <laughs> it's very easy to go from like you know season to season with a new issue and a closed off you know, problem and, and not actually tie them all together. But bringing back Gerard as the final villain, you know, ties throughout many aspects of the show and we see, um, you know, him talk about, the sheriff talk about the, you know, first of all, the death of um, Matt and his his murder of Matt and we t- see him talk about the, uh, you know, what he did to Kalian, um and his own, um, his own men in order to... Um, basically incite a fake conflict. Um, and then, you know, we'd also talk about the fact that, um, you know, he sabotaged the the beast and, and all of those situations. So, yeah, it's, it, it all ties in. Like it all, it all makes sense. But yeah, Matt, Matt sure did uh, get a shout out and he sure was a victim of Gerard. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait till we rewatch and then I can like reestablish my feelings for Matt, or maybe, maybe question you'll watch why. It and be like, what the hell was I doing? Yeah. Was I just remember, building this up? Remember in my head? though, he talked about Greek mythology, and that's why I fell in love with him. I, re- I remember. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, that was anyway. was a dark time. Um. <clears throat> yeah. So okay, well anyway, Sheriff's speech tomorrow is actually really beautiful, and he brings up yeah. a lot of great points. He's trying to convince her that Gerard is a psychopath, and he kills his own men. He kills kids. He doesn't necessarily care about anybody, and that's when Monroe is like, "That's what I like about him." And you're like, "Are you serious, lady? Like this is geez. so delusional. It is right? freaking she doesn't brainwash delusional." But the thing is, she doesn't seem insane to me. She seems misguided and misinformed, but she doesn't seem insane to me. And I don't necessarily think that it's brainwashing. I think it's more like PTSD, it's trauma, it's wanting to feel safe. 
And on the one hand, like she's being proactive about it, which is actually really great. A lot of people would shut down. <laughs> but in her case, like she's killing people, which is not okay. But she doesn't feel like she's on the same level to me as Gerard in terms of insanity. No, and, you know, and I don't know if Gerard even is insane. Like, he's certainly, you know, got his, his, you know, direction uh, and his his reasoning pretty solid. It just sucks. Mm -hmm. But um, that being said, he, does she not care if she, he kills her? Like, or does she trust that he won't? Or, like, um, I mean, she doesn't trust him at all. She said as much, but I think she believes she's smart enough to stay alive. And I think that will carry her for a while. She's obviously a quick learner, but when it comes down to it, Gerard is not going to choose her over him. So she's, as long as she's aware of that, I think she's fine kind of getting into bed with him. I really didn't want to say that. That was not a great yeah but um (laughs) funny um, yeah yeah. so you know and the thing um sheriff also brings up is that he tells her that gerard withheld information about the beast so that he could be the one to kill it and her pain could have been avoided for this and she doesn't even care about that. She talks about how Gerard is single-minded and she wants somebody like that. And she puts it back on the sheriff and she says, you're in over your head. You can't stop all the violence in this town. At least we're doing something about it. And yeah. says, you constantly choose them over us. What kind of sheriff are you? Yeah, she makes a lot of statements back to the sheriff that mm-hmm. do shake him a fair bit about like his you know, his history since all of this stuff's been going on and how bad he is at it, basically, and how he can't help anyone. So that was quite mean. Yeah. Some some, some measure of truth in it, but quite mean. <laughs> and she was mean. She was mean. <laughs> and the crazy thing, too, is that he tries to get her escorted out of the station And turns out none of his deputies are loyal to him anymore. They're all loyal to her. And she basically tells they how? How when how did she do this? She's convincing and she I think she uses logic and she uses fear, not only the fear that was already there, but the extra fear that's sort of in the air, which we've talked about due to the fear monster. And I just, I'm not surprised by it to be, to be truthful, but it's really disheartening, especially because the deputy goes to disarm the sheriff and is basically like, "Mm, you don't want to do that. And he kind of does take a step back and the sheriff is allowed to walk himself out of the station. But like Scott's just lost, not a valuable ally because obviously the sheriff is still an ally, but like his position is now gone. They could have used that as precarious as it was. They have used that to their advantage even a couple of episodes ago when they were all locked in the sheriff's station. So the idea that he's out of there now is not good. But the sheriff still has faith. He says, I never said Gerard wouldn't beat me. I said he wouldn't beat Scott. 
And that puts a lot of faith in Scott. Well-deserved faith, I think, too. And I just have to wonder, you know, does Monroe not realize the amount of faith people have in Scott and what Scott is capable of because he is such a good person? Because if she doesn't, like, she's going to find out. I don't know. I I genuinely don't know what she thinks is going to happen or what he is going to or what Scott, you know, this faith from Sheriff and from Melissa and all of those people who are like, Scott is infallible. What do they think he's going to do? What do they think he's going to figure out? What do they think he's going to pull off at this point? Like, I just want to know what they think he can do besides from uh, unwavering belief. That's the thing. I don't think they know what he's going to do. They just have faith that he will do something. He's never let them down before. They have no reason to doubt him. He's always found that third option when everything felt like it wasn't going to work out. And at this point, after so many years, they've learned to just blindly trust him. And, you know, maybe that's dangerous on their part. But again, he hasn't let them down before. So... I kind of, I'm not surprised by that, but Scott does reach out to somebody else, that somebody else with, you know, lowering his standards even more is Peter, and God, I love Peter so much. This, these scenes with him are, like, delicious. I don't know how else to describe them. They're so perfect. And they show up at Eichen House, and Peter's just sort of standing there. And Scott's with Malia, and Peter kind of goes, what are you doing here? And Malia goes, I'm here for moral support. And Peter says, for him or for me? And Malia just goes, you need to have morals. (laughs) 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 Which is very true. And Peter kind of repeats what a lot of other people are saying in that, Peter wants Scott to start killing before he'll be willing to fight alongside him. And he has a locked up hunter in one of the cages, one of the cells, and gives him the cartridge for the gun and allows him to shoot his way out of the cell. And Scott incapacitates him, but doesn't kill him. And that's when Peter kind of walks away. Because if you're not willing to kill you're not going to win this fight. If you're not going to win this fight, there's no point in me standing beside you. Yeah, that's that's absolutely, you know, absolutely true. Like Peter's kind of like, you know, come on, here's one. He he's crazy. He doesn't, you know, look at his willingness to kill you, like look at his blind obedience, like all of those factors, you know, just just kill him. Mm-hmm. And Scott's like, "No, but that man was quite quite intensely crazy." He was. Um, and oh, I, just the setup, though. Peter is so dramatic. Like the setup is. of actually doing that, and like, yeah. And even when he was like, I, I kind of like him better, to be honest. And like, oh my god, everything about Peter in this episode was just so oh, perfect. That jacket, like, just when he was leaning <sighs> on the thing with the white lapels on the jacket, I was just like. This is a joke. Like, what (laughs) is this man? Like, he is just so ridiculous. I so appreciate how far he's come. Because, again, just like Theo, Peter is still sassy. He's still difficult. He still is a pain in the ass. But, like, you can tell how much he loves Malia and how much he's willing 
to risk for her, even if he kind of pushes against that in the beginning, because his stubbornness and his innate, like, fear of death is so strong in him that he does have this flight tendency. But when Malia is standing there, he can't help but go back to her. And just everything between them when they meet in the courtyard afterwards, like, first of all. I love this drama. It was so great. And she presses the middle of his hand and his claws pop out. And I don't know why I found that so funny. But, like, you can do that to, like, a cat, you know? Like, when you, like, yeah, yeah, like, you can massage their paw and, like, push their their claws out. And, like, yeah. (laughs) Just the fact that she knew, like, how to do that, <laughs> he looked so surprised, especially when she jams his claws into the back of her neck to show him the Anukite and what the fear monster is kind of doing to everyone, and he mm. freaks out afterwards, and he keeps, like, shaking out his hand. I was dying. I don't know why I found it so funny, but, Again, like, all his little physicalities just make this mm. character come so alive. Everything about him in this, like his haircut, the fact that he didn't have that terrible goatee anymore, and he had like, like he just, he just looked so trendy, and he would like fully, just really campy, and like you know when they're talking in the courtyard, and she's like, where did you? He's like, where did you get that from? And she's like, you, duh. And she, he's like, you most certainly did not. Like, yeah. what, you know, he's so ridiculous, and it's like, so he's just embraced this, mm-hmm. like drama queen and I just I don't know I just still love it and he's like he's like joking with her and we've uh, we've seen a Peter I am assuming they have been in contact I am assuming they're not this is not the first time she's seen him since the final Ghost Riders fight I do not think it vibes like they are building something Mm -hmm. I agree and but we haven't seen Peter like this before, which really kind of shocked me. Like, we've seen him be sarcastic. We've seen him be funny. We haven't really seen him be lighthearted. Like, he's always had an ulterior motive. He's always kind of taken stabs at people versus, like, taking stabs at himself. And the idea that he can do that around Malia, I just, oh, man, I, I really like their relationship. And... We've only got a few more episodes left, and I hope that they continue to explore this, especially with the fight coming up and what he's willing to do in order to save her, because, oh man, I I appreciate his arc so much. Mm-hmm. And it, we're still not really sure about how she feels about him, how genuinely she feels about him, or about if she just wants to get him. Is she just being like, a manipulative bitch and being like, hey, dad, that I literally hate. I know you love me, so do you want to, like, come and kill people for Scott? Like, if you know what I mean. Like, do you think, or do you think that she genuinely wants his help um, and cares about him? I think her relationship with Peter is like the kind of relationship a lot of children have with absentee fathers or fathers who aren't around that often in that they want them to be better and so I think she genuinely cares for him I think we saw that in the train station I think that she Mm -hmm. gets frustrated by him a lot and in a lot of ways probably does hate him but at the end of the day like 
she she knows he's capable of being a better person and she wants that so badly so yeah i mean like he points out she and i think other people want scott delicate little scott to be surrounded by killers to be surrounded by people who are willing to do the dirty work because they don't want him to get his hands dirty but at the same time malia knows that peter is not only a good ally, but that he's capable of being a good person. And maybe if he does this, it'll finally prove to both of them that he is this person he's kind of refused to become yeah. prior to again, this. Yeah, again, just, just, it's just in bringing up some memories of, of little bits of canon that have been mentioned before. Again, put it on the list. Peter, in the early days, I believe it was said that he lost kids in the fire. Like he had a he had a family, and it might just have been that he lived in the big hail commune and that there were nieces and nephews and stuff. But it was implied that he had children who were killed. That he was the only one of his like that that everyone lived in that house together. You know, brothers and sisters and their partners and their their kids. Uh, you know, Derek and Cora and Laura and everyone like that. Um, and, and, but it was implied at some point that Peter had children and the response when he found out that Talia took his memories of having this other, you know, he, he had this kid, he had Malia young. And then he, if he did have other kids, they would have been much younger than Scott and Malia. They would have been little kids. And the fact that someone who had been like up until that point, like presumably a good father and someone who cared about having his children and his children are killed and then for him to discover that he has another child who he'd been forcibly taken from him he's gonna have some real very intense keenness to to you know cherish that he just sort of goes about it the wrong way which is why what we see like that he has two of those only 100 in the you know cars in the world like the mm. the cobras and you know he said and he he it's so dramatic like he holds out the key and he was like one of them was for you and it forget like in and like for one beat you're like oh my god this is so melodramatic are we meant to be having an emotion about him oh my god he he really cares about her and and i do i do genuinely his his emotions got to me there Same. but then you have malia on the on the flip side seeing through it being like i don't want your car and it's not even like it's such a good scene for both perspectives, if you know what I mean, for mm-hmm. for you are giving me, you are directing your efforts incorrectly for me. If that is what she, you know, that is what she was kind of saying, like as in mm-hmm. like for him, that's what he thinks is like the biggest deal in the world. Like, you know, I, I got you this thing and this is an example of how much I love you. And she's like, no, like if, if you love me, that's, that's not what you do. What you do is this thing that I'm telling you, if you know what I mean. And it was so real for both of them, like his emotions and hers, like, like his emotions and hers both told a lot of story there, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I think, yeah, I, I definitely agree with Malia's perspective in that like she was like, okay, I see that you're trying, but you're trying the wrong thing. So, like, this doesn't really mean anything to me. For Peter, I think, like, it was way more than just about the car. I think that he is trying to show her how much he cares and doesn't necessarily know 
how to do that. But like, he wasn't just giving her a car. He was trying to give her something to relate to her with. And yeah, a car doesn't really mean anything, especially right now when they're gearing up to fight this huge fight. But the fact that he's testing things out and trying to figure out, okay, how can we get closer means so much yeah. and like that's what he knows how to do like, right exactly which yeah. is why it got to me too emotionally because i was like he tried to give her the car like this is so much more than about a car and i really loved it mm. <sighs> yeah but anyway let's get back to gabe really quick because at the end of the scene with liam and theo he talks about how there are other bodies that Monroe didn't want them to know about. And all of these bodies are without eyes. And they're people that that were being tested as werewolves. And all of them came out as werewolves once the test was done. And it turns out that the Onokite killed them looking for its other half. And this is also when they, they all realize that Aaron is the fear monster. And the, yeah, like, the uh, eyeless, like, bodies just really freak me out. Yeah, it was quite quite gross, quite disgusting. But how, how do they put two and two together about Aaron again? Sorry? It was all Aaron's idea to test people. And so they kind oh, of draw right. the conclusion. Yeah, sorry, sorry. We're, yeah, we're, I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead to the crazy feral pack. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, sorry, I was thinking of the wrong place. Um, so yeah, the, the guys in the freezer, again, this is like a large amount of supernaturals in the, um, in the school, like, you Mm -hmm. know, a teacher and a few, few students, which is like, God, I wish they could have all just been like open about it. Like, do you think they knew Scott like was like the teacher, you know, was like, oh yeah, that, that Scott kid or whatever, but, uh, they were all werewolves and they get the picture immediately that, oh, like, we didn't kill them like this. So did Gabe actually see this happening to them or, or was this, like, the spiders thing? Like, does he not, was he not present for that or or what? Because he definitely I, killed Edgar. Or right. was it, yeah, or, or Well, he, he tested Edgar and then the Anukite gave him Tested him further, like, spiders. tested him his yeah. way, yeah. Um, it's like giving somebody crabs, only you give them spiders and they're eaten from the inside out. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but I think, I think it must have been the same way that they came upon the body of Edgar swarming with spiders and decided like they had to take care of it. And therefore like, these are other people that they've kind of taken care of as they found the bodies. I mean, lucky that they were the ones that found them, but kind of just how it goes so yeah and obviously like there's a lot more to this which um we'll get into in a second I also just want to point out that Gabe is the one that shot up the house and he decided to do it for Nolan which I got like a weird vibe from this I was like is this a friend thing is this like a crush thing is this like a I know You're it to was kind weird. Of it was weird. Right. It seemed a little bit crazy intense. to me. Yeah, like very intense. And he basically says, "You're welcome. This is the reason why you're still alive." 
And so I'm not really sure what's going on between Gabe and Nolan. I don't necessarily think that like anything's going to come of it, but there's definitely some stuff to read into there. It was quite weird. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was like, yeah, I, I don't know what their, their bond is, but I don't know. Gabe has already seemed like such a psychopath, but we, I wouldn't have assumed that he would have cared. Yeah, that was my big thing. Like, I didn't think he actually cared. I figured if he could find a way to get a leg up on Nolan, he would take it. Instead, he took huge risk and actually did something that Monroe probably approved of and totally didn't take credit for it. So that was just Mm -hmm. a surprising twist for me. But getting back to the fear monster thing. um, So Scott and Malia go to find this pack called the Primal. And this is a pack of werewolves that gave up their humanity. And honestly, this kind of frustrated me because it feels like a little bit of a plot hole, I guess you would call it. Or like, well, not necessarily a plot hole, but like very convenient. First of all, going back to the kids in the school who are supernatural, like wouldn't Scott be able to pick up on that? Like not all of them are going to be able to mask their scent. So there's a little bit of an issue there. because we've never heard of Scott and stuff masking themselves, like only right. Satomi's pack, you know? Like, exactly. So is it like every, oh, are we saying that every other supernatural in school is like better at being a supernatural than <laughs> Scott is? Like, is that kind of what, anyway. Yeah, no, but then also, how is it that Malia, who was a coyote for, you know, more than half her life or whatever, mm. how is it that she knows about the primal and how is it that Scott's also heard about the primal, but we've never heard of them? Again, yeah, it not was a bit really. Sh- an, it was a bit shoehorned in. Yeah, not really a like a in. big issue, but just in terms of like convenience, was kind of obvious. I'm assuming and, maybe Derek told them. Maybe those things. Yeah, yeah. I I think it would be it would have made so much more sense if Ducalion had been like, by the way, there's this pack called the Primal, like go check them out. That would have been totally fine. Wouldn't even have questioned it. But anyway, it is what it is. So they go to find the pack, Scott and Malia, but they're all dead. They were all killed by the Anokite and their eyes have been sucked out or whatever. And who shows up there but... spiders. Yeah. Who shows up there (laughs) but Lydia, who was initially in the hospital, woke up, whole hospital was covered in frost and snow which looked I mean, really I cool was happening inside her head yeah yeah it was really yeah. cool though it looked amazing and yeah that she, set must have been yeah, yeah really fun and they she goes to the morgue and one of the um i always forget what they're called cold chambers or something i don't something. know what they're called the the uh, body things yeah body the drawers body drawers <laughs> Um, one of them is very hot and she opens it and then we kind of go back to another part of the story and come back to this and she shows up in her gown no longer covered in snow because that was just inside her head having been led there by Howlin who's dead as Malia points out like six times Um, she's like you mean the dead hellhound like the one that's dead right and Lydia basically goes look I'm a harbinger of death trust me there's a body out in the woods Howen wants me to find it and they do find a body this is the Anukite's other face and it's a werewolf 
from the primal pack. And so this one has a body now and they've so got they to find each other. One, basically that this, the, the one that's skinned is the, is a, is a good fit is basically yes. what we're saying is mm-hmm. it took the, you know, because it's all skins melted off. It means that this guy is actually a good fit for the Inukite and that's what it did to Aaron's body as well. Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, but then, how come we've seen more than one of those bodiless, like those, those? Then what are the faceless bodies that were like? If Aaron is the Inukite, then what were those faceless bodies? that they, they shot up, you know, like when they, that attacked them in the cell. Those were hallucinations. In, uh, the they were hallucinations because mm-hmm. that's what I thought. Yeah. So I'm confused. Like, um, okay, Although so hallucinations. Parrish was able to grab one and destroy it is kind maybe of confusing. The, well, maybe the body itself is, maybe they can, like, make the corpses do their zombie bidding. I don't know. Maybe. Like send around all of the people that they t- took the bodies from. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, now that this is a problem, they're obviously going to really kind of step up their game. And lucky for them, Hunter's killed both of Peter's cars. So he's pissed off and he's decided <laughs> to join the pack. And he and Malia are sitting in the car and Malia's just kind of chilling there and she wants to know, you know, why he's back. But before she kind of says anything, he just goes, what's the holdup? I have a lot of revenge to plan. And I just, I don't know, I really love this line. It was really funny, but also very Peter. Yeah, and uh, and she kind of knew that that was like, Peter needs a facade. Like, he, he mm-hmm. Peter cannot be vulnerable. Peter will not allow himself to, you know, to actually say, I care about this, I believe in this, so I'm doing it. Um, he will not allow that vulnerability. So now he's making an excuse with the cars, which, to be fair, probably didn't really piss him off. But Malia sort of knows that it's actually a, a cover-up, if you know what I mean. You know, that, oh, you know, this was just an excuse for you to, like, tap into your morals. Mm-hmm. And she wonders what he saw in her head that made him change his mind. And it turns out... He saw how much Malia loves Scott, and it made him love him too. <laughs> I I know that this was a serious scene, but the the cuts where Peter's looking at Scott, I'm like, he's totally in love with him now. <laughs> <laughs> wow! It just, wow! <laughs> I don't know. That's obviously he's not, but he saw how much Malia cares about Scott and how much. Scott cares about her in return, and I think that made him realize that, like, this is a cause worth fighting for, although he does tell her, look, he's going to get himself killed. Don't fall in love with a dead man. And Malia says, Mm. too late, which was actually really beautiful, and I really liked it. But um, Peter, I think Peter's feelings right now are very complicated because on the one hand, what he did see was very genuine and what he felt was very genuine and he can't get that out of his head now. And I think that's a big reason why he decided to come back, but he also wants to protect his daughter because he's afraid that Scott is going to get himself killed and he doesn't want Malia to die in the process. Yeah, for sure. 
So the final scene of the episode, I was not expecting this to be the final scene, to be honest. I kind of thought this was going to end up in the middle of the episode. It's when Ethan and Jackson, you know, enter Beacon Hills High School for the first time. They're walking down the halls. Jackson's checking out girls. Jackson's checking out guys. Ethan Kyle gives him this look like, really, dude, I'm standing right here. And Jackson's just like, why? Can't help myself. And this they is run in... what we saw at, at yeah. Comic-Con, this, this yeah. scene, which did not have the full implication of them being together, but certainly had the implication of mm-hmm. Jackson having some interest in, in, in multiple sexes. Yeah. Um, and, and it cut, the scene we saw cut before the happy anniversary. Like, we mm-hmm. did not get that reveal but it did go all the way to the torture scene and and Ethan being like you've heard of me like kind of making making fun of and, and we didn't get you know that that he talks I listen thing so we got to I think we got to Ethan berating him about you've heard of me and and we got that scene. yeah yeah I think that's where they they cut it and yeah. I I love that this was very Jackson to me because the beginning of the episode, Jackson felt a little different. And I think that's just because different environment, different relationship status. Mm-hmm. And it's been a while, he's matured a little bit. But walking down those halls, all that cockiness came back to oh. him. And it was really great. Like, it was really awesome to see him do that again to kind of put on the Jackson mask again because like we said before like that's not Colton like Colton really has to change up a lot of stuff to mm. be that much of an Colton asshole is, is so earnest that he it's is. like and yeah. so like reactionary and and so wide-eyed that this is just so funny but but yeah, it was so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, just so, and even him razzing about Scott being the lacrosse coach, yeah. like, everything. Oh, like, what I the can't fuck? wait for the reunion of everybody. Mm-hmm. I hope they dedicate a little bit of time to being like, really, dude? What? Like, <laughs> what yeah. is going on? So much has changed on both ends here, and mm. I'm excited for them to be friends and, and all of that. But mm. Before all of that, that's next episode, uh, hopefully. They do run into Monroe, and they get sent down to the dungeon, splashed with water, and electrocuted. And that's when Ethan goes, you've heard of me? You've heard of me? And (laughs) Jackson just goes, I thought it was a lacrosse thing. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) And they they do a callback to the he talks, I listen part. And, uh, again, I just, I really loved it. Even when... They so are not in control of the situation like they were with the hunters back in London. Mm -hmm. They've kind of got it on lock and they're still working for a team, even if one is annoyed with the other. What do you think they've discovered about, like, because when they pull that, like, what do you think they discovered? He he talks, I listen. I'm not sure because what was it that Jackson was asking her? Basically, like, what Gerard was up to, right? Yeah, I don't know. It, was, it wasn't like a yes or no, like, lying kind of yeah. question. But, may, I don't know, they're just, they're just so fun and, yeah, end up kind of just sitting there laughing, being like, lol, this is happening. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I wonder how they're going to get out of that. They're still I, okay, though. Like, they're, yeah, they're okay. yeah. 
they end it with the happy anniversary and it was really great. And again, like I was not expecting the episode to end there. I was so disappointed. So I can't wait to watch the next one. And they're not going to, I mean, they're not going to die, are they? We, we are going to see more of them, right? We, we have seen in the trailer them with the rest of the group, right? Um, I don't know, actually. I think the Maybe only... not. I think the only Jackson and Ethan scene we saw was the walk down the hallway. But, like, okay. yeah, they're obviously going to at least be in one more episode because otherwise, like, well, what's the point? I hope they, they haven't don't even... just discover their dead bodies. Like, oh, no, they've killed more of our friends. No. Now we're even more pissed off. Like, I don't think, I really don't think they'd do that. But, you know, never know. <laughs> um so i'm hoping that's not what happens but anyway yeah that- no i think they'll be fine yeah. i hope somebody rescues them um god scott would be a great one even like liam or something and then jackson would just be like who the f are you like yeah someone happen? who didn't know who they were and then yeah. bring them to scott and and him be like what the Though maybe he knew they were coming. Like, maybe they contacted him and was like, hey, mm-hmm. what's up? But Oh, my um, God. Maybe it's Theo and Jackson and Theo can be, like, assholes together. <laughs> they would either really like each other or really hate each other. Yeah, well, Theo did go to school with them. Like, they've known, you know, like, uh, that whole group of people. I, I hope they remember that. I hope they remember that Theo knew them when they were kids. Theo knew them and if Jackson and Lydia were in, you know, that still in that, if Jackson's like been their kind of like schoolyard enemy since early school, he may have known Theo as well. So I am, it won't break me if they don't do that, but Mm -hmm. I would love to see like, is that Theo? (laughs) Like what happened to him? Uh, Anyway, we'll see. It's a long story. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that's the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, f- you know, next week and then the week after and, and then it's done. Oh. So, yeah, I know, I know. Anyway, um, we've got a couple of tweets that talk about the Theo and Liam situation. Um, one from Laura Morrow, one, two, three, saying, new bromance I am loving is totally Theo and Liam. Mm-hmm. So, yes. And then another one, more blatantly from Victoria, bookquip 99 saying, Theo is in love with Liam. This is a fact. I'm very here for it. <laughs> so, I mean, could be, could be. You never know. Yeah. Maybe the end of Teen Wolf is just like everyone's gay, the end. Maybe. So, I mean, that would be a great but, ending. <laughs> could be, just like, you know, just go yeah. all out. But um, you never know. Uh, we also got an email from Tyler. Um, someone called Tyler, apparently. <laughs> so, hello. Um, and he has written a really long um, email about um, about our show, which is really nice. Um, and there's a few few points in it um, that we've got. Um, I mean, I can read the whole thing. It's, it's it's pretty long, but there's some questions that it wanted to be answered. So there's some good discussion points here. Hi guys, my name is Tyler. I've been listening to you guys for years now, and want to congratulate you guys on your awesome run with Teen Wolf. Yeah, so he starts with sort of an intro about the history of our uh, of him listening to our show, which is really nice, and someone who listens to shows for um, every 
listen to podcasts for every show they watch. And but he has some questions, um, uh, discussion points, which um, he wanted some thoughts and opinions on, and says he thinks they're topics that the Teen Wolf community would be interested in. Um, so first one says, um, the last couple of seasons I've been noticing that most of Scott's plans have not been all that successful and they only get saved by a special ability like Lydia's scream last episode or, you know, or Scott and Malia would be goners. Scott even said last episode that they've always been a step ahead of them, like that Gerard and, and co have been a step ahead of them. In the first seasons, um, I felt like Scott's crew was always a the team step ahead with the clever plans. So I thought about the difference and realised it's clearly Styles being gone. I think he mm. was the brain. So my so my questions is, do you think Scott is truly a great leader on his own? I think he's um, I think he's the person to portray the leader and is very good at building people up and bringing people together. But when it comes to being a step ahead of the bad guy, he's lost without Styles. I think that's why they were a perfect team and why he has to keep coming back for season finales so they can win. I would love your thoughts. I honestly think a lot of the missteps are cleverly done by Jeff to show what Styles brought to the table, as in, like, that these flaws are intentional to show what they're missing without him. So, anyway, so how do you feel about that that kind of implication of the show? I think that's very interesting, and I think it's a really fair... I think it's a really fair conclusion to draw... Because Scott has always been the heart and Styles has always been the brain. And that's not to say that Scott isn't smart or tactical or is incapable of coming up with a plan. But as we've seen, even in this episode alone, he does kind of have to go to other people to be like, hey, what do you think we should do? I need some help here. And the yeah. fact that he can just admit that by by itself is actually really great and is the strength of a leader because it shows that he yeah. doesn't have ego or anything like that. But I think Scott is much better at putting plans into action. He's always been yeah. a fighter and he's always had that heart and he's always defended what he loves. It's okay that his strength isn't in the planning part. Yeah, I think that something about being a good leader is um, about surrounding yourself with the right people and is about believing in a message and having the ability to believe, to make others believe something is possible. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily always mean that you are the best at every aspect of it. Um, you know, some some of it is surrounding yourself with people with unique skills and some of that those skills includes um tactics you know some of that skills includes planning some of that skills includes dirty work that the leader can't or shouldn't be doing which is what we're we're kind of at at the moment but um yeah i i get the point that you're saying completely i i i have also at times questioned like what is so special about Scott if you know what I mean like it's definitely been a question that I've had um had throughout the show like because he's basically just a guy like that's the point kind of and Styles is a a manic manipulative mind that Scott certainly does not possess and and knows he doesn't possess, you know. So you know Lydia's good at information. She's good at retaining you know retaining information and 
and intelligence, what Styles has is something very different and he's literally fast-tracking to the FBI because of it, like because mm-hmm. he is that kind of of person who um, can, okay, here's, here's a factor. Hannibal, here is Styles is remind and, and he's FBI as well. Styles in this circumstance, I'm going to compare to Will Graham from Hannibal. Will Graham is an incredibly successful detective who had to step away from his role because the reason he's good at his job is because he empathizes enough with the other side to be able to work out the crimes. So he 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 caught killers by literally visualizing them and being able to feel their motivation, like tapping into, because basically like he has this aspect that means that he has the potential to be a serial killer as well, that he taps into that empathy um, in order to see like why someone made the choice they made as a serial killer. And I think that's what Styles has. I think Styles is steps ahead because he is, he is not as pure as Scott because he mm-hmm. is, because Scott would be like, why would anyone want to do that? And Styles has been like, here's why someone would want to do that, if you know what I mean. So I think that that is a big factor, that Styles has a dirtier mind, not in the sexy, dirty way. <laughs> like, that he, like that Styles is, 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 has got a, a, a less idealised view and Styles has the capability to, to think ahead because he can imagine the other point of view, whereas Scott is so hung up on, you know, but that's wrong. Why would they want to hurt us? You know, that he can't, mm-hmm. he can't get his head around it. So that was one question. It's actually a few more. So I wanted to see what you guys thought about Melissa having a God complex type situation with Scott. She's watched him come back from the dead. I think she has some chosen one thoughts about him. And that's where this crazy confidence Melissa now has comes from Scott. Um, he said, I'm with Nat in the fact that it felt a little off, but when I think that she watched him come back from the dead and constantly save the town, you could see how she could also almost see him as a chosen one or a godlike character. Like, so any thoughts about about that for for in terms of where Melissa's like blind faith in, in Scott has come from, this this kind of thing that I've had issues with? That actually makes a lot of sense to me. And when you see somebody come back from the dead like that, it's hard not to feel that way. And again, you know, Scott has saved them time and time and time and time again. So the idea that everybody has this blind faith in him is totally warranted. I think in a way it's a little naive because you got to fall at some point. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen with Scott because this is, you know, the last season, like they're going to, they're going to win guys. If you haven't figured that out already, like spoiler, but I, I, I could see a little bit of this God complex kind of thing. And on the flip side of that, though, she's also seen him get hurt and seen him be in situations that are life or death and not necessarily knowing how it will turn out. Faith goes a long way, but that's not the same thing as knowledge that everything's going to be okay. So where I think she does hold Scott in very high regard, I think for her, it's also this 
you know, you are capable of beating them. You need to stand and fight and you need to inspire others. You are the pack leader. This is your job. This is your responsibility. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, as I said, I've, I've, I'm a bit, bit confused by Melissa's attitude as a parent, but I suppose she could have become like a Scott zealot. Um, <laughs> certainly, certainly possible. I don't know. Um, yeah, I definitely feel like there's been a shift though, basically like, so that it could be that it could, could very well be that. Um, okay. There's a bunch of other questions. They're all fairly long and I might write back via email. Um, one of them does it. One of them does address the, um, issue with, um, the reflection of, um, Jackson coming back as, as queer as, as being on Colton's, um, real life choices and how he doesn't really feel that that was like part of Jackson's story originally, which like what I, I said earlier, I am keen to see any explanation for this because it is a world in which if this was true for Jackson back at the time, he wouldn't have had any issues expressing it. And it could have just been that he happened to be with a girl at that moment, like with Lydia um, Mm -hmm. and not, not going after guys, but um, I'm curious to see that story and, you know, basically Tyler here in the email is just saying he doesn't, doesn't quite buy it, but um, I don't know. We, we love the scenes obviously and we love the guys and we kind of don't care that it's a bit indulgent, but I would like to see how it did come up in, inside yeah. the canon of the show. And it literally could have just been like, didn't realize this was a thing until he met Ethan and then all of a sudden hey I actually kind of like this guy and then oh well I guess I'm by now like it's yeah it happens yeah it's true um and then lastly he just wanted he actually just wanted to mention something else so lastly I just wanted to throw out a show that is in its second season now that has traits of Teen Wolf and is doing a good job of exploring racism in the current state of the world I think it's an Australian show it's called Clever Man it is, it is an Australian show and it's actually filmed in Sydney and it, like, involves a lot of Indigenous actors here and it's it's, it's a very highly acclaimed show in Australia. Um, I've only seen a couple of episodes. I've never really thought about it in the context of Teen Wolf before, but it's Clever Man, all one word, basically, um, and it's basically, um, like, superhumans um, powered people from... Um, Aboriginal dreaming, so like the um, the native um, people of Australia's mythology, and it's basically about uh, yeah, like a, a current society where that where that is happening, and hmm. it's definitely like so. It's it definitely is like it deals with some pretty hardcore issues. Like it doesn't doesn't really pull punches. I haven't seen the whole run through. I've only caught a little bit of it, but. Like, for example, when we went to Supernova, which is, um, like, one of our big local conventions, they did, like, a premiere of the Season 2 Clever Man screening where you had to, like, lock your phone in a bag, if you know what I mean. Like, it is actually quite wow. becoming quite popular. So I don't know if it's on any streaming services in the USA. Presumably, I'm not, Tyler, if, you know, I don't think Tyler writing this email is Australian because he said he thinks the show is Australian. If he was from here, he would he would know it was. So 
so he's have got it. He's got his hands on it somehow. But it is it is an interesting show that we've been meaning to catch up with myself and Leo. So yeah, it it could be could be good. It's it's very it's a very progressive like you know sci fi fantasy show, and it deals pretty politically with a lot of the issues that these kind of werewolf stories often bring up about um, prejudice. So yeah, definitely. Do check that out if you ever get the chance to get your hands on it. But, yeah, so thank you very much for sending such a nice long email um, about, you know, reaching out um, having said that you've listened for, for so long. So that's very kind of you. And, yeah, anyone else who wants to just shoot us an email, feel free, like people do occasionally. And, um, yeah, we like to read them out. Or if you want to say something that you don't want us to read out, you can also specify that if you <laughs> like it. I don't know. I don't know what you would want to come and just write to us about. But anyway, if you do want to, we're always here. Um, yeah, any, anything else? So I, um, we're, yeah, we're just about, about finished. Was there anything else about this episode that you wanted to, to talk about? No, I thought it was a really great episode. I love the way that they brought back characters and made it super relevant to the plot. Like, we're still continuing on this story, but it was a slight pause to kind of check in on some other people, and I think they balanced that really well. And I, this is definitely a standout episode for me, so I'm, I'm super mm-hmm. excited to see what the next ones look like. Yeah, I loved it. So I'm I'm glad. I, I feel like from here it's you know all killer no filler from, from yeah. here on out. So yeah, we'll have to strap in basically. Yeah. Oh boy! All right. Well, we'll see you next week um, for episode eighteen. Um, and yeah, so until next time, bye bye. Bye. Perfect life on display.